Fully Loaded Chew is tobacco-free, long-cut, and pouches that gives you the same pack, dip, spit, and buzz that you're used to without tobacco. Fully Loaded Chew comes in nine flavors and is made with all food-grade ingredients and tobacco-free nicotine, the purest form of nicotine there is. To give us a try, head on over to FullyLoadedChew.com for a $1 can of chew with free shipping when you enter the code OUTDOOR1. O-U-T-D-O-O-R and the number one. Lastly, many outdoorsmen are trying to quit tobacco altogether and Fully Loaded Chew may be that first step. For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com. You're listening to the Average Conservationist Podcast brought to you by Go Hunt and in partner with 2% for Conservation. Sign up today to become an insider at GoHunt.com. 2% for Conservation's mission is to create an alliance of businesses and individuals that ensure the future of hunting and angling by committing their time and dollars to fish and wildlife. 1% of your time plus 1% of your money equals 2% for Conservation. 2% helps businesses and people pair with conservation causes to support things that fit what they care about. Whether you're into fishing, hunting, or just getting outdoors, 2% can help you not only start giving back to wildlife, but get certified for it. Getting 2% certified means you've made the same commitments as popular brands like Sitka, First Light, Stone Glacier, and Seek Outside in giving at least 1% of your time and dollars back to wildlife. But it's not just for outdoor companies. Breweries, contractors, coffee roasters, and even piano repair companies have earned 2% certification and stand out as leaders in their community for doing so. Businesses that are committed to conservation deserve your business when you shop. Learn more about 2% for conservation at Fish and wildlife.org that's fish and wildlife.org what's up everyone welcome back to another episode of the average conservationist podcast and i'm your host marcus ewing Today, I am joined by the co-founder and CEO of 2% Certified Sasquatch Fuel, Andrew Schroeder. And uh, <clears throat> Andrew and I have a lot of good laughs during this um, during this episode. Um, prior to actually recording, Andrew and I uh, got to discover that, um, you know, both of you, Andrew is, is from Michigan here, so we got to kind of catch up on that and just talk about Michigan for a little bit. And Andrew goes on throughout the uh, course of the episode here and talk about really the origins of Sasquatch Fuel. And um, it's really a pretty crazy story about how it um, really all got started from a fishing trip uh, with his dad um, in some remote uh, areas in Montana there um, to the idea uh, behind creating Sasquatch Fuel and really um, what he used to kind of fund um, the initial um, research, I guess, in development of the packaging and everything that goes along with uh, Sasquatch Fuel. Um, really, uh, really interesting and entertaining to say the least. Uh, Andrew also goes on to talk about, you know, all the different products that Sasquatch Fuel is offering, um, what they hope to do in the future, um, and also why conservation is really at the core um, of what the business is doing. Um, you know, I think when you look at the packaging um, and how that kind of separates themselves from a lot of other brands uh, in the industry, you can kind of see why conservation uh, is so important to them. So again, like I said, really fun, really cool episode. Andrew uh, is a great dude and has a lot of uh, passion about what he's doing, um, not only with the brand, but with conservation as well. So 
episode 55, Andrew Schroeder. Uh, enjoy. Before we get into the episode and the conversation with Andrew, though, I want to take a minute to tell you about our partners over at Wild Rivers Coffee. Uh, They're roasting in small batches, so they ensure that your coffee arrives at its peak freshness. Uh, Wild Rivers is also a proud partner with 2% for Conservation, and they believe in preserving wild places and wild things that bring all of us so much joy. Uh, And that's why everything that they sell, a portion of the proceeds are donated back to conservation organizations that are near and dear to them. So organizations like Trout Unlimited, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, Ducks Unlimited, and Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. So go to wildriverscoffeeco.com where you can buy fresh roasted beans, handmade mugs, uh, sweet merchandise. Um, And if you use the code FISH underscore wildlife, that's all caps. So all caps, FISH underscore wildlife, you can save 10% on your order. So again, be sure and check them out, wildriverscoffeeco.com. All right, I'd like to welcome to the podcast today from 2% Certified Brand Sasquatch Fuel, Andrew Schroeder. Andrew, how's it going today? Hey, Marcus, doing awesome. Thanks for having me on, and I was glad that we got to catch up a little bit about Michigan before this all started. Yeah, no, this is, that's like almost my favorite, I mean, granted, I enjoy all these conversations, right, and the, you know, five or ten minutes that I get to kind of BS with people prior to start recording, whether it's, you know, if you've done a bunch of these or it's your first one, just get to know each other a little bit, feel each other out, like just kind of how the conversation is going to kind of flow, uh, maybe get any nerves out of the way. And then you find out a little bit more about the person and yeah, Michigan boy and living out, living out West now. So I, I love it, man. I'm excited to talk more now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely excited to be here, man. Definitely excited. Yeah. Well, I'm definitely, uh, I'm glad that we could do this. I know we had touched base a little bit, uh, a little while ago and you guys had some 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 big stuff going on there at Sasquatch Fuel, and now is a better time. So I'm excited to hear more about the brand. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sorry about the last like month and a half. I feel like I've been a chicken running around with his head cut off, just <laughs> figuring things. We got new meals coming out sometime this month, and and getting everything together. But um, yeah, just a quick little synopsis of the company yeah. uh, for get in. Um, we're a backpacking food company. We were started in 2015. Uh, the idea came about in 2013 on a fly fishing trip up in the mountains, up in the crazies, actually. Okay. Uh, my dad and I, so I, I, you know, come from Michigan, moved out here in 2008, spent a year going to school, went back to Michigan, graduated in the UP. I ended up down in Tampa, Florida, and. <laughs> I was just sitting there for like a year going, what the hell am I doing with my life? <laughs> like, <laughs> I I remembered this place with mountains and amazing public land. I was like, I need to go back to Montana and just figure figure something out, go to school, whatever it ends up being. So came out here. My dad immediately put me on a fly rod because uh, I, you know, grew up Michigan fly or uh, just fishing on the on the dock for perch. Yeah. And so it was a little bit of a different you know, a different thing going on out here. He put me on the fly rod and him and I would just spend all summer long, like the next several summers, just fly fishing Alpine lakes. We do like our little research, figure out what lakes were stocked and when they were stocked. And then we just basically take a gamble and we're like, I think this is the sweet spot. So we would just hike in seven, 12 miles and then just spend the weekend or like a long week fly fishing. Um, a lot of the time we would bring 
you know, the, the freeze dried backpacking food that everybody was familiar with. Yeah. Been around since, I don't know, the eighties, the seventies, something like that. Um, and then sometimes we would bring our own food. We just like make something at home and then bring little Ziploc bags. Right. Eventually, you know, we're sitting around this campfire one day and we'd happen to see like a half burnt Mylar pouch sitting in there. And we were like, man, that, that kind of sucks. Like, we're all the way out here, seven miles in, and there's a Mylar pouch just staring us back in the face. It's just something about, like, when you go out to those alpine lakes where you feel like you're completely alone and isolated. Yeah. And then you start seeing other people's trash. It just it sets you off. Yeah. Uh, so we are just sitting around and spitballing about this this pouch that we saw. We're like, man, it's – it's too bad there's not a packaging that would just like break down if it was left in a fire pit or if one got littered or like even better yet, like when, you know, you're supposed to pack out your trash with you. Right. Something that would break down the landfill even further down the, the, the road or the chain. So, right. Even if someone did dispose of it properly. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that and then like we didn't like the way that the meals made us taste or made us feel. So it was always like this this brick in your stomach, man. It just screws <laughs> up your digestive process and you're like, I feel terrible. And so, you know, we we're just sitting there and that's when the naive idea came out and I was like, Well, we're gonna we're gonna come out with our own meals and it's gonna be in a packaging that could break down. Seems Super naive. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Had no idea. Um, so, you know, basically the next like two years really were just spent calling anybody and everybody I could in the packaging industry and telling them my idea and be like, is this possible? A lot of most people were like, this kid's crazy. Like, absolutely <laughs> all great not. ideas are. <laughs> yeah. I've been in the industry for 20, 30 years. Like, who is this kid calling me talking about this? Um, so, you know, that was that was really the start of the idea and the process to get started. Um, but it took two years of just calling and researching every day until we finally found a manufacturer that was based out of Canada that had this coffee bag that apparently would break down wherever microbes are present. Okay. You know, landfills, lakes, rivers, you know, fire pit, you name it. Okay. Um, but it was just being sold as a coffee bag. So I reached out to the company. I talked to the CEO and the owner of it. And eventually I had him sent me a bunch of samples. And then the next thing you know, like one thing led to another where I'm calling him. I'm like, it contains boiling water. <laughs> and he's like, what? What are you doing with my packaging, man? I'm like, yeah, I have this idea of cooking food in your packaging. And, you know, and he's like, it contains boiling water? Like, it doesn't leak or anything? I'm like, no. So that's kind of where the process started. Once I told him that, he got into like a, a third-party, you know, research organization to basically come up with the data that would that would say, hey, it's actually safe to cook in these in these bags. Yeah. No toxins being released. Um. And so, you know, once once that packaging was there and we figured it out, it was like, okay, now let's go move forward with the meals. Right. And, uh, you know, that was that was a process in itself is just figuring out the USDA. I mean, I think I was I was 19 when it all the idea started. 
I believe I was something like 22, 23 when we launched and I had no idea what I was doing. I was, <laughs> I was going to school for business finance and I just knew I hated business finance. Yeah. So, no one loves business finance. Just, not even the people doing it. No, <laughs> no, man. I was like, man, if I could just like get a career where I can just be involved in the outdoor industry and I could just spend my time alpine fly fishing and hunting and stuff like I'm set. Yeah. So ironically, like, you know, here we are, you know, six, seven years later and my time outdoors is actually limited because of how much work I got going on in the office. But it's awesome, man. It's, it's, it's been awesome. You know, last seven years, um, coming out with different meals right now, we have five meals and they're all in those, they call it omnidegradable. So the packaging, what it is, what separates it from like your standard aluminum is it's just craft paper with a biofilm, like a polymer layer on the inside. That's what allows it to have like that, that uh, zero gas transmission and allows food to be shelf stable. Okay. But in that polymer lining is a compound that is a proprietary blend from that manufacturer. When that comes in contact with microbes in the environment, whether it's a landfill, lake, river, soil, it'll break down to nothing but biomass and toxin-free water. Okay. So it just turns into, it just turns into plant food. Okay. So it's just been something that, you know, for us, looking at it from a macro perspective, our goal is obviously to preach the leave no trace, pack out what you pack in, bring awareness to that. We put it on every one of our pouches just to make sure nobody gets the wrong idea. Right. And... You know, but but when it ends up in a landfill, whether it's anaerobic or aerobic, it'll completely break down. But you know, if, if litter happens, if it does happen, if someone tries to burn it, we're just trying to mitigate that overall impact in the environment. Yeah, because I think as much as we all want to do the right thing with pack in, pack out, I mean, things happen, right? Even if you're you're, yeah. you're trying your damnedest not to to leave leave any trace behind. I mean. You can go to all these great lengths and sometimes something falls out of your bag and you don't realize it when you're digging something else out. I mean, sadly, things happen, right? But to to be you know conscious of, of what you're bringing in and making sure you're bringing it out, but to have that almost like a fail safe in case it does hit the ground and, yes. and you're none the wiser. Uh, no, that's awesome. I mean, how much did you learn about... Um, I guess what goes into like the packaging and the science, the science behind all of that, once you got involved that you probably didn't expect to too much, (laughs) (laughs) I learned learned way too much. Uh, you know, the idea, you know, when I was looking for different packaging, you know, I've always kind of had an entrepreneurial background. Um, I, I, you know, what 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 allowed me to have the time, I guess, to research and make this business happen with, with virtually zero funding and zero outside help was I was selling used mattresses out of my garage here in Bozeman. (laughs) I mean, I was selling, I, I, I started, dude, I started off with a Craigslist post. I had access to like unlimited amounts of mattresses from Mattress King here in town. Cause I, I, you know, I was 19. I was working at Mattress King uh, and for about a year. And what I learned was every mattress we pulled out of a house, it would go into this big truck. And then once a week, they'd deliver it to the landfill. And my buddy and I are sitting there like, damn, these are some pretty nice mattresses. Like, 
there's no there's no wear and tear on these and they're just going to the landfill so that was you know that was like the beginning of just bringing one home sell it on craigslist eventually a lady reached out to me and she was like a wholesaler for furniture and mattresses (laughs) and she's like how many do you have and i'm like quite a bit and she's (laughs) like i'll take them all so you know we had this thing where she'd come over once a week my garage would be stacked full of mattresses and she would just be like a hundred for this one i'm like i'm thinking we're like 150 and she'd like 125 I'm like sold and we move on to the next mattress uh and then eventually I got fired from that company can't imagine why (laughs) yeah I don't know why but little did they know that I had struck a deal with the new warehouse manager and the employees and I was like hey come by my garage once a week on your way to the landfill drop your mattresses off and I'll cut you a check. So I'd write them a couple hundred dollars and they're like, oh yeah, beer money. (laughs) And I just kept it going as I just continued down this rabbit hole with packaging, which then led to, you know, the first packaging material I came across. Uh, A lot of people are probably familiar with it. It, It's it's PLA based, polylactic acid. So it's a corn material. Um, You see it a lot in like cutlery and coffee cups and stuff like that. Okay. And at first I was like, man, this is it. Maybe there's a way to do this with the packaging. And so I started I started a little distributor here in town before anybody else had even really been talking about this packaging. It's called like Gallatin Green Distributing. <laughs> it was like this cheap little website I made. And uh yeah, you know, I got into a couple coffee shops and yogurt shops and and eventually started learning more about the industry and learning that this plastic material actually was far worse as far as like its greenhouse gas emissions, water usage and fuel uh, to manufacture um, than regular, you know, plastic cutlery or coffee cups. Okay. And I learned that uh, the only way that it really made an impact and was really compostable was in a commercial setting at the time. There was no commercial compost facility in Montana other than the one that I think was in West Yellowstone, which was owned by, I think, Zantara or Delaware North. But they weren't taking these plastics because there was too much – there was too much like other plastics being mixed in and it was hard to separate. Plus the time in in the actual compost was way longer than, say, like a sugar cane, like bag-ass clamshell or something like that. <clears throat> Eventually, I was like, man, this is this is kind of like greenwash bullshit. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, if people can't compost it and there's a problem sorting and everything like that, plus it's harder to make, uh, this ain't it. So I was like, man, I'm not, I'm not about to do this for the next five, ten years of my life. I'm going, I'm going to school. <laughs> and then that, you know, that was just the start of going to school. And I, I continued to, to research the plastic industry. And eventually I, I, I had a year left of college and I was like, man, what am I doing? Like I got this little company I started. Yeah. It's growing. It's picking up a little traction. I'm just going to risk it for the biscuit and go for what I want to do. And, um, but yeah, I mean the long winded answer. I, yeah. I've learned too much about plastic industry. <laughs> So there's so much that I want to say right now about that story that you just told me about, 
you know, your side hustle there with Mattress Cake <laughs> and selling. I hope you're not listening. <laughs> oh, man. If they're not 2% certified, they're probably, they probably don't much care. But <laughs> so when you first said that, you're like, oh, I was selling used mattresses out of my garage. Like, there's always this, like, stereotype or this, yeah, this, I don't even know what the right word, what the word I'm looking for here is, but like this connotation, right? That goes with like a used yeah. car salesman. Like they're slick, yeah. they're dirty, they're cunning, they're underhanded. They're always going to have keep... my bathrobe on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, the 1970s attire always just trying to, oh yeah, this one looks good. Yeah, let's, let's look under the hood type thing. And then I feel like you almost take that one step further, right? And they're like, no, 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 I'm not selling you a car. I'm going to sell you my mattress that I've been sleeping on for the past <laughs> five years. <laughs> so, yeah. But no, that's 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 such a crazy story, and that's I mean, no, that's that's so cool that you went from that to basically using that to you know fund what you really wanted to do, and and in the end, kind of spinning it on its head, and and look where you guys are at now. I mean, that's that's a really cool from beginning to end story. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was uh, it, it was nice at the time because you know, like my roommates. And my girlfriend at the time, they all had day jobs working nine to five. When I got fired for Mattress King, it was just like this hostility, this overwhelming hostility in the house started happening where it was like I would walk in from the garage with a fat check, you know, like five, six grand for the week. And they're like, what the hell, dude? You don't even work. You just sit in your room, drink coffee and just call people and research. So I'm like, yeah, man, I don't know. There's, I mean, there's never been, uh, I, I feel like the, the statement, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And the fact that you made some relationships with the warehouse manager and the drivers, like that's all you needed. It was Absolutely, easy. It right? was easy street for a while after that. Yeah, man. And I think eventually after the, after, you know, a couple months of me being gone, they, they finally started putting the pieces together and then, and all of a sudden the, the delivery stopped happening and communication all ended. And I'm like, all right, I, I guess it's time to go to school now. <laughs> yeah, you wrote it as far as you could, so that's I, I commend yeah. you for that for sure. <laughs> so you've got the packaging pretty well figured out, and then you kind of move on to actually deciding upon the meal. So, what does that process process look like? I mean, you said you guys offer five different meals right now. I mean, what was your first one, and what did it take to get from okay, let's make this yeah. to actually being able to sell it? Yeah, so you know the first the first meals that we made, there was actually only two. It was uh, we called it vegan rice and beans and spaghetti and meat sauce. So the spaghetti that was I feel like pretty easy for me to come up with. I come from a big Italian family, uh, and you know we had a bunch of different seasoning blends that we used growing up, and I was just like, well, okay, we can make a sauce with these seasonings and. You know, we eventually, like we first were thinking freeze-dried meat. There was a company on the East Coast, and they offered like freeze-dried meatballs and stuff like that. But unfortunately, like the problem was when we got the samples delivered to the house, it was like dog food. And I was like, man, I, I don't, I don't want to put this in my product if the dog doesn't even want to eat it. You know, it was just like this styrofoam, like I guess meat. But it didn't have any taste, and it smelled kind of industrial. Yeah. Um, so, you know, my head was like, okay, what can we do instead of freeze-dried meat? And then I just thought, like, it, it just hit me. It was like, 
man, what did people used to do? Like back back in the olden days before freeze drying machines, it was jerky and 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 like that biltong. Like you know, yeah. it's just pure meat. And so you know, that was where it was like, okay, let's use jerky instead of freeze dried meat for the spaghetti. Um, and the vegan rice and beans, it was like a like a seasoning blend that I made black beans, red bell pepper and rice. Um, but there was a learning curve. So oh, I bet. dude, the, the first, so, so back in 2015 or 2016, I can't remember the time frame, but basically we picked up our first hundred meals, 50 of each, Okay. brought it back, put it in our garage on a pallet. I had literally like a week before we picked up, my dad picked up, I broke two vertebrae. Mm. And so I'm like laying in my bed in like a back brace. <laughs> and, and, and my dad comes in with like all these meals and I'm like looking through the door of my bedroom like, yeah, they're finally here, man. And, uh, you know, it was like this, we made it. I finally like came up with the packaging uh, we finally got the USDA bug. All the pieces came together. We're finally in the market. Unfortunately, you know, the vegan rice and beans that we started off with, the beans wouldn't reconstitute in water because I, you know, for for some reason that I, I, I wasn't aware of until after we placed our order and had these made, they were whole black beans. They're freeze-dried, but even like a whole bean that's freeze dried still takes an ungodly amount of time to rehydrate. Okay. Um, and so, you know, there was that issue, you know, not having any capital and really no expertise in anything. I started the first prototype labels in Microsoft paint and <laughs> I went into a, a print shop here in Bozeman and I was like, Hey, I want to print these labels off and just make some demo meals. It, 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 you know, mock them up. And they laughed at me. They were like, is this Microsoft Paint? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, what's it to you? <laughs> they're like, yeah, they're like, we need a vector graphic, my dude. And I'm like, what's vector, man? <laughs> so, you know, just started off with like a cheap, free uh, uh, platform, I think called like Inkspace or Inkscape or something like that that would make vector graphics. Yeah. And so the first two meals had these two atrocious labels. Gray. I don't know why I thought gray was a good idea, gray and white. But <laughs> it was just like, you know, this overwhelming feeling of we made it. We're finally at the market. But then soon after it was like, shit, nobody knows we exist. No money for advertisement. One of the meals doesn't reconstitute and the labels look like garbage. <laughs> so <laughs> You know, there is just a learning curve over the last several years. And, you know, to this day, I still make the labels, believe it or not. Well, yeah, it's probably pretty believable because they're not, you know, I'm no, I'm no artist. Um, and we're looking at, you know, bringing our own artist in-house and, and rebranding the logo and the labels. That That's to come. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just making the best out of what we had from, from the beginning of nothing. So... So how long would you say it was from the time you got those first um, <clears throat> first hundred meals, and then you know you, you discovered the the issue with the um, with the beans, 
you weren't super crazy about the graphics. Like at what point, if this was twenty fifth, was this this was twenty fifteen, twenty sixteen? Yeah, yeah, twenty fifteen. So, twenty fifteen. All right. So at what point did you feel like you kind of hit your stride where you got a lot of the bugs worked out? You had, had added some more new meals. I mean, when did it feel like okay, I finally got a hold on this? Um, honestly, it, it wasn't until maybe two and a half, three years ago, yeah, okay. uh, probably, probably about th- three years ago, uh, which is when I, I dropped out of college, um, and, you know, made different labels that were a step up above the, the last ones. I came out with a couple new meals. Um, one of the meals that we, we came out with was called the kick and cactus bowl. And so it's basically like a burrito bowl. Um, with nopalis cactus powder in it okay and the idea was is um we had a we had a guy that we had met that had a a drop shipping website and he wanted to sell some meals on his website and he called me one day and was like hey i have the arizona trail association interested in doing a, a collab meal with 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 a company um, for their own special trail meal. And, and we would donate a percent towards, you know, Arizona trail conservation. And, you know, he told me there's like five or six other companies involved that were all, I guess, vying to make a meal to send to them. And then they chose us. And so that was kind of like a big moment for us where it was like, wow, like a, a credible organization that's doing amazing things. Right actually picked us to partner with and you know that was that was a huge step up of like okay momentum is going in our favor we came out with the southwest mac and cheese that started just killing people started just love that meal to this day it's like our number one seller and yeah i mean it's just been an evolutionary process over the last several years where you know every year every month to try, you know, it's, it's one step better than the, than the last. Yeah. And so we're not quite to like the level that I would like to be at, but I mean, we're, we're in a forward momentum. So, yeah. And that's all that matters, right? As long as you're, as long as you're not moving backwards, right. You know, even if it's baby steps, I mean, just to, to keep that momentum going. So you have the, the Southwest Mac and cheese, you have the kicking cactus bowl, you have the spaghetti and meat sauce. Uh, you have the rice and beans. What is your fifth flavor that you guys have? Uh, beef stroganoff. Beef stroganoff. So we use like a portobello shiitake mushroom mix for like the sauce base. And then we use the cattle jerky uh, for, for the beef. Okay. So, right on. Yeah. Those are, I mean, you're a Midwest <laughs> boy. You're a Midwest boy just like me. And some of those meals, like you say, you know, you got the mac and cheese, the stroganoff. Like these are like taking me back to like my youth here, and, I, and I'm, yeah. I'm really digging it, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for us, it was like you know, especially coming from just two meals, and and knowing that we can't come out with a full product line right off the gates. For for us, it was like let's come out with meals that are hearty that a lot of people would would like instead of coming out with something that's more like foreign, like a you know something that has fish sauce in it yeah. <laughs> you know? right right so yeah yeah, yeah. No, was, those are those are good staples and they're like it's something that that it, like you said like it's it even like sans you know foreign ingredients like they're not like 
it's not like a exotic meal, right? Like they're very kind of household items and things and stuff that, that everyone's probably eaten at one point or another. So it's something that there's familiarity, there's, you know, a certain comfort level with, with those types of foods, especially if you're going to be, you know, in the back country for, you know, five, seven, 10 days, whatever it is, or, you know, even if you're just going on a weekend fishing trip, you know, like this whole thing started with, you know, it's something, something you feel comfortable to yeah. pack in. Absolutely. So now are you guys just a direct consumer? Or are you guys, uh, do you have any, uh, or can you get your, your products in any stores or anything? Yeah. So, you know, we do wholesale and direct to consumer, um, to start off, you know, when, when nobody knew we existed, it was like, let's get, let's get into brick and mortar. Cause that's going to help get the name out. Um, and so we got into a couple different stores and, you know, throughout the years, like we're in Bob Ward's, uh, we picked up Sierra trading post who has like 49 locations. Um, but, but mainly, you know, direct to consumer is, is definitely where we're like my heart's at and what we want to continue to like build upon just because it allows us to give, give us the, it allows us to give, I guess, special attention to the consumer and actually like value yeah. each, each meal that goes out the door. Yeah. So I'm still, I'm still writing handwritten notes for every order and, 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 and try to keep it as personal as I can. So. Yeah, no, that's that's such a cool touch. I mean, I mean, I have a small apparel business, and I mean, you can literally see. I mean, people can't see us, but so I like in every order that goes yeah. out, I've got a thank you card that I, you know, I'll, I'll write go. a I write a hand note on just to say thank you yep. because I mean, you know it as well as I do. Like how like that means something, man. Even if you get a hundred yep. orders a day or you get one order a month, like whatever the case is, like that means something. That's and the fact that someone's taking the time to spend their hard earned money on whatever it is that you're offering, like it's a big deal, right? And yeah. you're not the first person I've had had on that that do that, that write the handwritten note. And it's to me it goes so far in, in terms of like repeat business, um, you know, how likely I am to like suggest or recommend that product or that service to another friend. It's like you know, like these guys took the time to write me a note. Like it's, yeah, it's such yeah. It, those little things make such a huge difference. Yeah. I mean, it's just like you said, it's like somebody's spending their hard earned money on something, you know, that, that I created yeah. that that's my passion. Yeah. It's like, you're damn right. I value it. Like yeah. every single meal, whether it's $12 or it's a hundred dollar order, right? Like that person matters. That order matters. Yeah. And so, yeah. yeah. And I think it's like you said, like, and that's like the beauty behind the direct consumer, you know, business model uh, or, or, or a part of that business model is there's there's always going to be this connection to the customers. Yeah. And I think like in a day and age where everything is done, like through social media, through texts, I mean, like if I, if I even me, like if I talk on the phone with someone, like it's almost like it's it's just not like a regular thing that I do unless yeah. it's like you know my mom or something like that right <laughs> who who I'm talking to but there's it, it's a way that again like I said despite all of the the interactions that's not done face to face like it's still a way to kind of make a personal connection and yeah I, I wish more companies would do that another thing that we like really prioritize and I try and include on every note is like give us your feedback yeah like. I'm not, I'm not just looking for like these meals were awesome and just like positive feedback. It's like, I crave the negative feedback because if, if I get that negative feedback, it allows me to self assess and, and, and see 
what can we do better? Yeah. And that's just always something that we've been encouraging from our customers. Yeah, the pat on the backs are nice, but yeah, you don't really learn anything about you oh. know what is that you're doing. I mean, because how often do you figure people are like, well, I don't, you know, I don't want to like leave a bad review. I don't want to be like, right. hey, your shit sucks, right? Or I didn't like yeah. this. It's like, you know, there's ways you can do it. Like, hey, you know, maybe this or, or that or, or something like that. And I mean, yeah, it, it that's how you learn and that's how you, you grow yeah. and become more reputable and everything like that. So no, kudos to you, man. So <clears throat> from an outdoor perspective, and, you know, we got to talk a little bit about it and, and being a Midwest boy, I kind of have an, an idea of what your answer is here. But how was it that you were introduced to the outdoors? Yeah, uh, my father, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So so my dad's the one that got me in like, you know, whitetail hunting at a young age with him. You know, definitely a different ball game out in Michigan <laughs> than it is out in Montana. Right? Oh, yeah. There's definitely sure. a little learning curve. Um but no, like he would, you know, on the weekends, he made sure to take me fishing, you know, mostly we'd fish for perch or, you know, whatever it was, but like that. And then like whitetail hunting where, you know, even before I was of hunting age, yeah, like just being outdoors with them, it, that's what kind of shaped and molded, I guess, the rest of my life with the outdoors and that special connection. Yeah. So, so would you say like, that's kind of like the whole conservation mindset was that instilled instilled in you yeah. by your dad yeah yeah absolutely i mean like ever since i was a kid and, and like you probably know exactly what i'm talking about you know being in michigan where like you know the value for public land like like it, it, it is the same but there, there's so many other people i guess like in michigan i'm used to seeing way more litter way more graffiti oh, yeah. Yeah. way more trash like even up in the up where i'm originally from it's like uh when i went back a couple of years ago we did a little a little hike around teal lake over by nagani sure and the amount of graffiti a collapsed tent like just bags of clothes on the trail yeah. and like then you come out here and that's it's not really the case i mean yeah it does happen to some degree but um i just feel like it's 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 a different mindset out here where people are way more i guess you know because that's the other thing is like you know a lot of what we do as far as like our volunteer and conservation stuff is is campsite like primitive campsite cleanups and you know it's still it's still a big thing out here where there's there's shells there's brass everywhere yeah you know there's things tied to trees and um but yeah i mean like ever since i was a kid i was just instilled that you know leave the land in a better place than you found it yep. just don't leave anything behind leave it pristine for the next person to enjoy yeah and so that's kind of what i've yeah just built built the company around yeah and <clears throat> while teal lake is a good sized lake like for for people to like leave <laughs> stuff out there like you can see like all of teal lake from 28 right there right yeah. like it's not you're not that yeah. far yeah. from wherever you parked your car from wherever you set out from so it's like dude take 20 minutes like walk back walk yeah. back to the truck right like and that's what's frustrating is people just they either a take for granted that uh, you know this this land is always going to be here it's always going to be in um in a like shape or it's always going to be in a state of usability right which isn't the case or b someone else is going to come behind me 
and clean it up. Like, I don't give a shit, but someone else probably does, and, and I'll let them take care of it. I'll make it their problem. And that's it's such a terrible mindset to have. And, you know, part yeah. of me feels like that, that people that make those decisions, they just they haven't been ex- really exposed to the outdoors, right? They, they don't yeah. have this appreciation for it. It's super short-sighted. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. I, I think with a lot of people, it doesn't even click in their head, like the, the aftermath of the action. Like, yeah. oh, am I destroying this for the next person to come? It, it's just a reactionary thing of, oh, I'm, done with, I'm done with my wrapper. Yeah, and it becomes <laughs> like know? all of a sudden this, you know, one-ounce wrapper becomes an inconvenience to them, right? It's like, oh, God. Yeah. I hate, I'd hate to put it in my pocket. I'd hate to put it in my pack. No like, one's look. No one's looking, yeah. right? So yeah, that's terrible. Like, yeah. So from a conservation standpoint, in the outdoors, and you know, really the product that you offer is 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 geared around um, outdoor recreating, whether it's hunting, whether it's fishing, backpacking, camping, whatever the case is. I mean, your product offers um, use from a lot of different outdoor recreationists. So how was it that you first learned about 2% for conservation? Yeah, um, I think I just saw him on Instagram, <laughs> to be completely honest. I saw him on, on Instagram. I saw that, you know, it, it looked like it was from Bozeman, Montana. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, shit, man. And, and like, we were already doing so many different things, like the partnership with the Arizona Trail and just, like, we're already cleaning up campsites. And it was just like, man, like, we need to be 2% certified. Yeah. So that was, it just seemed like a no brainer to us where it's just, if enough people become 2% certified, like there's just more people that are, are conscious. I mean, the thing that I love the most about 2% is that it's not just donating your money, right? That for, for us, like, you know, money, like the bottom line, it does matter because we're a small business, right? We don't have a whole lot of expendable capital, right? But the thing, like when it when it comes to big corporations, money is just an easy expense, right? Yeah. Like it's just it's easier to give that donation away, but you know they still have to put the boots on. Yeah. Like everybody that wants to be two percent certified still has to gear up and go outside and get off their ass. Yep. And that was like super appealing part of it all. Yeah. That, to my knowledge, there's nothing else like it. No, and I've I've heard it described, or yeah, someone described it to me this way. And maybe I went on to since use the same description, but it's it's like a better business bureau for like the outdoor world for conservation, right? Like it's it's letting people know who really care and who are actually putting their money where their mouth is um, in terms of giving back to wildlife. And to kind of you know go off the point that you said, like the thing that you love about it is like the actual like manual labor, like the boots on the ground, because especially for a small like. Like, let's say like a small business, right? For example, like, like yourself, you know, you can, you can make the donation, the financial donation, you know, the at least 1%, but it's almost like, you know, depending upon where the money's going or the organization, um, you know, maybe it's being used just for overhead or maybe you've been able to like say, okay, I want this money, like, you know, earmarked for a specific project that this organization is doing. Um, but then also you, you kind of look at that compared to the boots on the ground in like 21 hours, like you could get a lot of stuff right. done. You can clean up a lot of campsites in 21 hours. And there's almost like this more yeah. tangible uh, result from that than, you know, the, the financial side of things. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then as far as like the donation part, it's like, 
you know, we we're donating between five and eight percent of our of our income every year. Yeah. But like as a small business, I mean, especially like you said, like that money's going to to you know, like the Arizona Trail Association or Gear Forward. And, but it's not you know, we're, we're, it's not like we're donating a million dollars here right, at the end of right, the day. Right. You know, oftentimes I feel like the time that you spend and the people that are affiliated with your company, the time that they spend, it has more of an impact, at least in your own community. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And that's, there's this feeling of like, when you make the donation, like at least from the, the, the financial side of things, like you're very proud of it. Like I remember like making my first donation, um, and I was like super excited about it. And like I, I, I met with like the, the, what was he like the, I don't know, he's like the chair for like a, uh, <clears throat> it, it was, it was for BHA and it was like a local, um, like a Michigan chapter, the chair of the Michigan chapter here. And like we met, we had some coffee, we talked a little bit and I, you know, I gave him my check and everything. And like after it, it was like, oh, that's done. Right. And it was yeah. like, you know, we, we sat and talked for, you know, like I said, you know, 20 minutes, half hour, something like that. And then it was all done. And I was like, all right, like that was it. But that whole interaction took a half hour. But, you know, compare that, even if you do that once a month, four times a year, like that doesn't really compare to, you know, spending four hours cleaning up, you know, a trailhead, you know, an entire day, you know, or an entire day or weekend, you know, cleaning up these dispersed campsites. Like you said, I mean, there's just. You wouldn't believe the shit you pull out of these places, man. Like, like. We were down there a couple weeks ago, and right next to the river, there's like a plastic bag handle sticking out of the ground. And, you know, Holly's down there. She's like digging around it, trying to pull it up. And I see this big bag, like trash bag. And I'm like, oh, shit. Like, is this a body? I'm like, this seems like a body right now. And I'm like, I'm like freaking out. And like, Holly's like, I don't know what I'm about to find. And, you know, it's like she pulled out this garbage bag that was stuffed with, like, I mean, the most rotten, foul, nasty Tupperware you've ever seen in your life. Just And it's like, you know, who, you know, if that's not going to get picked up, what happens to it? You know, oh, is it going to get blown down the river? Yeah. Is it just going to, you know? So, yeah, you'd be surprised the shit that you see out there, man. <laughs> yeah. So what are some of the organizations that um, that you guys are giving back to or that you guys are working with? Yeah, so Arizona Trail, uh, they're they're probably the main focus right now. Yeah, um, another huge nonprofit that that I love personally is called Gear Forward, okay. and so you know we all have gear that's in our in our closet or in our, in our shed yeah, that say, we don't I'm, use. Yeah, I'm not familiar with Gear Forward, so yeah, yeah, tell me about it. Okay, yeah, so so we all have this gear that we don't use anymore. It's whether it's outdated, we get new stuff or it just sits there and rots in the, in the shop, in the shed. Um, Scott Galvin is the director and founder of gear forward. Uh, they're, they're national nonprofit, but they're based in Springfield, Illinois. And his whole thing is accepting donation from gear, like used gear and hooking it up with kids like the youth that, that don't have, I guess the necessary means to get out. And so okay. that could look like uh, tents, sleeping bags. Um, for us, it's, you know, we do a lot of meals with them. But, you know, it's like there's a lot of scenarios where it's like inner city kids, you know, they come from, you know, a, a not so good background and they don't have a sleeping bag. They don't have a tent. They don't have the access to the outdoors. 
And so he does a really amazing job of finding those people and sending them gear that they need. And that could be like Boy Scout troops or, you know, any other, you know, organization that, that works with these kids. But he does a really good job. It's it's awesome to see. Yeah, and that's that's super cool. Like one that well when you said gear forward, I you know, I was like, Well, I've gotta ask because I wasn't familiar with it. But, you know, telling me about it and like that's almost like kind of shaping or help helping like the next generation of outdoorsmen outdoors women conservationists right like and otherwise i mean these people are may never have the experience because you're right like like you said they don't have the right gear they don't have the the means and like sometimes depending on what you want to do the barrier for entry can be kind of high when you don't have any of these things like you and i probably take for granted like yeah i got a tent i got a sleeping bag you know i've got camel like i've got the stuff that i need to go out but other people don't necessarily have that. So to, to afford them that opportunity is super cool. And that's one of the, the things that I like is, is companies that are, are getting involved with like youth and mentoring and helping give back yeah. and allow this, this next generation an opportunity to experience something that maybe they wouldn't get a chance to. And who knows? I mean, maybe, you know, one of these, you know, young guys or young gals is, you know, the next great conservationist, you know, of our right. time. When, you know, we get old and we're kind of looking back at things, we're like, oh, yeah, he started with Gear Forward, right? Or, or whatever the organization is that, that gave yeah. him the opportunity. Yeah, it's super important to pass it along to the next generation and get them outside and get them to appreciate the, the things that, that we that we love so much. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's it. He has an awesome nonprofit that that does amazing things. So. Yeah, I can't speak enough about them. Yeah, how is it that you how is it that uh, that you stumbled across Gear Forward? Yeah, so funny story. Um, kick it back to like 2015. No one knows we exist. I started like googling outdoor blogs and okay. just like reaching out to as many outdoor blogs as I could. Um, one of them was a, a blog called Hiking Forward, and that was Scott's you know personal blog page. Uh, so we built a relationship through that way. I sent him meals. He tried them out. And, and then like, I think it was a year later, he reached out to me and was like, Hey, I'm starting this company or this organization called gear forward. Kick me the idea. And I was like, man, I, this is, this is solid stuff. Yeah. Cause not only are you reusing old gear and eliminating a lot of like new waste coming in, but also just outfitting you know, the younger generation that, that wouldn't have the opportunity necessarily to get out in the first place. Yeah. So no, yeah, that, that's super cool. And I'm starting to see, you know, a lot of organizations, like I think about like the national deer association who has started this like uh, fork to field um, program where they're bringing, you know, non hunters uh, into the field and, and giving them, you know, kind of a firsthand experience from, you know, firearms training, hunter safety, all the way through, you know, hopefully harvesting yeah. an animal and, and all of that. And, you know, this getting new people involved is, is so vital because, you know, I think like the outdoor industry uh, kind of as a whole has always been kind of looked at as like this, this old white guy thing. Right. right. And right. I mean, that's that's kind of like how our parents grew up, like in, in, you know, our grandparents grew up in that. And like with everything, right, like times change and yep. more people get involved. So to to see groups and organizations and businesses helping kind of move that forward and, and, you know, hopefully and potentially bring in, you know, a more diverse community for the outdoors. Like I'm all for it, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
So kind of big picture stuff here. What do you kind of have in store for Sasquatch Fuel kind of, let's say, the next, you know, three, five, seven years? Yeah. Um, so we'd like to bring in uh, way more meals, like a like just a bigger product line. Um, you know, the goal is this might sound crazy to some people that are listening to it uh, that know me, but the goal is 30 meals within the next like 15 months. 30 um, different I, meals? I just, yeah, okay. like like thirty to have thirty total. Okay. So the idea was just like being able to expand the product line, um, more you know more options for more people. Um, you know we 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 came out with the Tibetan yak snacks last January or twenty 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 ninth twenty twenty. It's all it's all yeah, it's, together. It's, it's just a big mess. Last right. year, right? Um, but you know, we worked with, uh, a local, uh, yak ranch up by Kalispell. Okay. Um, everything's grass fed. It's, it's really sustainable and ethical. I mean, like every yak they have on this ranch has a freaking name and it's like, you show them a picture. Like I, I was up there one time and I just taking pictures of the animals and I made this really cool, just like yak head picture that I was going to put on a canvas so I'm up there, uh, you know, eating cookies and drinking some tea, and I, I show the rancher, I'm like, check this out. I got this from one of the yeah, and they're like, oh, that's blah blah, you know, that's so and so, and like they I'm were like, speaking about their kid. <laughs> You're kidding me. So you know that that was a goal is a goal for us to expand, you know, into different different products like snacks, yeah, uh, and just be kind of an all around outdoor food brand. Okay. So right on. So. Where can you say the website? Where's the website where people can find them? Yeah, so it's just sasquatchfuel.com. Such a killer name too, by the way. I really dig that, man. Like, like I yeah. remember when I first, I think I was probably first looking at 2%'s website at, at fishandwildlife.org there, and I was like, Sasquatch Fuel. I was like, what do we got here? Like, But like without even like putting too much into it i was like i knew it was some type of like outdoor food right because you just yeah it's it, no it well done on the name man it, it's cool and it's unique and it's different yet it's still it it doesn't take a lot to figure out what it is if you if you've only ever heard the name right yeah yeah absolutely it funny story kind of about the name um this year uh just recently a uh, person reached out to me. I'm not going to name names, but a uh, person reached out to me and wanted to buy our company oh, and wow. wanted to, he really loved the name and he had a couple of partners that, you know, Sasquatch fits in real nicely with and um, talking to him and, 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 you know, man, it, it didn't go through. Cause I was like, yeah, this isn't going to happen any day. Like, like I'm asking him things like, you know, 2%, you know, would, would if you were, cause I'm just, I'm, I'm having a conversation with the guy. Right. I want to listen to what he has to say. And I'm asking him things like, you know, what would your plans be? 2%? Would you be 2% certified? Is that, Oh, absolutely. We, we love, we love the idea of that. But you know, Obviously, we'd have to do our diligence and we'd have to read into it and learn more, whether it's, you know, 2% of our income or he didn't even know. Yeah. It was like the goal of this guy to give me a call, you know, say, hey, I'm going to offer you this and has just no appreciation for the brand that we built where it's, you know, for us, it's like, obviously, you know, the bottom line matters. Right. But for us, it's also 
since day one, it's about uh, the morals and ethics of the company. It's yeah. about doing things differently. And, you know, so, you know, when that guy calls and he's like, oh, yeah, I'd love to buy the business because of the name and this and that, I'm like, eat shit. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say when... I should... I shouldn't probably talk about this, but yeah, man, I just, it was like the, the nerve, you know, of like, and then asking me, you know, like, so is aluminum actually bad for the environment? You know, is that, is that like any worse than your packaging? I'm just like, dude, not even going to do your research. Well, that's just it. I was going to say like, did he just like see the name and was like, hold on, let me give this guy a call real quick. Like maybe I could throw some money at him. Yeah. Like if you're going to call and offer to buy someone's business and i'd assume that this guy at some point probably you know built his own small business to whatever it maybe was or is now to to have the funds to be able to buy other businesses like you've been there you know what goes into creating that like the blood the sweat the tears the long hours the you know all that stuff and just to be like not do any research like that's that's just a slap in the face you know what i mean yeah, man. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, it sounds cliche, but it's like my soul is not for sale, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. And that's, yeah, especially if, you know, where are you going to stay 2% certified? You know, like he gave you like the most yeah. indirect no that I've ever heard, right? Like, well, what the right. do due diligence? Like I did it. Like I, yeah. I know I, I did my diligence, right? Like I know what it is. You're good. <laughs> like you got to stay. No, that's, that's. That's that's interesting, and that that's unfortunate it's that some people a are distasteful, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, well, real quick, where else can uh, they can find you? SasquatchFuel.com. What are uh, social media so so people can follow along there? Yeah, so we're Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, um, Twitter, TikTok, you name it. It's all just Sasquatch Fuel. Okay, just all one word. So perfect. Well, Andrew, dude, I had a blast talking to you, man. And anytime I can, yeah. you know, catch up with someone from the uh, the great state of Michigan, man, I'm always about it. Absolutely, man. I love talking to you, Marcus, and is uh, is good to yeah, good to be on the podcast. So. Yeah. All right. Well, take care of yourself, Andrew, and uh, we look forward to some new products in the future here. Awesome. Thanks, right. Marcus. Thanks. All right. Well, thanks again to Andrew for taking some time today to join me on the podcast. Uh, I would also like to thank the partners of the podcast, Wild Rivers Coffee Co., Go Hunt, and Stone Glacier, as well as 2% for Conservation. And if you're interested in learning more about 2%, 2% for Conservation, you can visit their website, fishandwildlife.org. And there you can see all the certified brands that have committed to conservation that you should support when you shop. I also encourage you guys to follow 2% on social media where they're going to post only positive conservation-driven content, so you'll enjoy that in your feeds. So again, if you'd like to learn more about 2% for Conservation, you can look for them online on social media or at fishandwildlife.org. Thanks for joining me this week, everyone. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Remember, stay safe out there, and conservation starts with you. (laughs) 